You're listening to a Roddenberry Podcast. This episode of Mission Log is sponsored by Star Trek Wines. Visit StarTrekWines.com today for limited edition Chateau Picard, Klingon Blood Wine, Canar, and many more. Use our special code Roddenberry at StarTrekWines.com for an exclusive United Federation of Planets medallion for free. This episode is also sponsored by listeners like you, supporters on Patreon. Join us today for early access to shows and the Mission Log Discord at patreon.com slash mission log. Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast, episode 486, The Q and the Gray. Welcome into another episode of Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm John Champion. And I'm Norman Lau. Each week on Mission Log, we open up an episode of Star Trek on a subspace level, lobbing everything in our arsenal at it to see if it stands the test of time and to see if there are any lessons to be learned along the way. This week, the Q and the Gray, the one where Q is in a civil war with Q, but Q might have a way to end the hostilities if only Q or Janeway will cooperate. We'll prepare for battle in a moment after we tell all of you how to reach us. Mission Log is a conversation about Star Trek. Drop us a line at missionlog at roddenberry.com and join us on Twitter and Facebook at Mission Log Pod. While you're at it, leave us a review and a rating at Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast platform. And please remember, your comments could be used on Mission Log or Engage on the Roddenberry YouTube channel. We'll have John's trivia in just a moment, but first, a word from one of our sponsors this week, and that is you. Yeah, you know, Norman, we talk a lot offline about how proud we are of our Discord community. And in particular, as this episode comes out, even, we are in the middle of a new release Star Trek series. And I find myself really turned off by the commentary and and back and forth on a lot of social media. And I go to our Discord as this, like thoughtful, friendly, and high-minded respite from all of that. It's so cool to see the conversations that happen there as opposed to everywhere else. I mean, I think in social media right now, especially the way that it's it's kind of like very fractured and fragmented, I think that our fans that are looking for like, you know, specific places for for their conversations to be heard, you know, not just to have a conversation, but to actually participate in a conversation that's respectful, well-rounded, and and giving and understanding and and tolerance. So I think that that's the one thing that makes our Discord uh, is very special. It's we have this community, and all credit goes to the community who's been able to foster that kind of environment. Yeah. I mean, when I think about what our Patreon has to offer, I think really about, you know, three levels. It's the people who just want to thank us and help support this show being made because this show takes effort it takes people it takes resources and some people want to support us just to get it made then there's the perks of patreon like you know the uh, uh early access to episodes or the special swag that we've made solely for patreon but then finally that third element that has really become the keystone of it all is that discord and your patreon membership is the way to get into our discord i want to say thank you specifically to some of our most recent patreon members ryan kyung kigar reese michael vince and shams 
welcome all of you to our Patreon and to our Discord community. Norman, how can they join us? Well, you can always visit us at patreon.com slash mission log. And remember, your donation will give you access to Discord. So take a look at the tier that best suits you. And then we will get you into the Discord. And we will see you there. And now, here's John Champion with this week's Civil War history lesson. I mean, trivia. I don't know how much of a lesson this can possibly be, but trivia on the episode, <laughs> the Q and the Gray, yes, you got it. All right, we have a story by Sean Pillar, and you may remember in Season 2 of Voyager when we talked about Sean's story pitch for the Q-centric story, Death Wish. While Sean didn't directly pitch this story, there were so many elements that inspired the Q and the Gray as a sequel that it was right to credit him here. So the teleplay duties fell to Kenneth Biller, who felt maybe a little out of his element doing a script that was so closely tied to previous Star Trek lore by expanding on the Q. He did his homework, though, with screenings of prior Q episodes, and he used the important elements out of Sean's story, i.e. the Civil War and the Q Continuum, and its effects on the rest of the galaxy, as well as the attraction that Q has for Captain Janeway. It's not to say that it was easy going for Ken, though. Uh, the previous episode, Warlord, had run long in its production schedule, and this script required edits and tweaks right up to and during production itself, causing it to overlap with the production schedule for the next episode. This was directed by Cliff Bowl, and we've had a few of Cliff's Voyager episodes in rapid succession. He was in the chair for False Prophets and Future's End Part 2, and up to this point, he had already directed John DeLancey as Q twice on TNG. Now, there's some nice location shooting here, and it's very close by in Griffith Park. We were just there for Future's End for the shots of the observatory. This time, the cameras are pretty much just facing the other direction to show the woods and the trails in the area. And uh, the family life, by the way, if you're curious to uh, read ahead, the family life of Q is followed up in a novel that would be Peter David's 1999 book, IQ. Let's meet our guest stars. We have some very recognizable returning guest stars. First and foremost, there's John DeLancey as Q, making his second visit to Voyager. Then there's Susie Plaxon as Q, who I'm sure we all remember as the often called Dr. Selar on board the Enterprise D, and as Alexander's late mother, Kalar. This is the only time Susie has played Q, and she will be back in a different role when we get to Enterprise. Finally, as Q, we welcome Harv Presnell, a veteran of stage and screen. He racked up live performing credits early in his career, and in 1960, a part was written for him in the Broadway musical The Unsinkable Molly Brown. The show was a hit, and when it was made into a movie a few years later, Harv was cast, which then launched his film career. As the movie credits slowed down, he returned to the stage and appeared on Broadway for a number of years as Daddy Warbucks and Annie, a role that, by the way, was then assumed by another future track actor, John Shuck. Harv returned to movies, though, and one of his breakout roles to a new generation was in Fargo as Wade Gustafson. That opened up even more film and TV work, and he continued working in front of the camera as well as a voice actor until he passed away in 2009. 
During today's show, I will present dramatic readings from Ken Burns' documentary about the Q Civil War. Prologue. After watching a nearby star go supernova, the crew of Voyager celebrates, for they are the first to have ever witnessed such an event in such close proximity, making this one a Starfleet record. Chakotay, seeing that Janeway is fatigued after pulling a 14-hour shift, recommends that the captain get some much-deserved rest. But when she arrives in her quarters, in the center of her living room is now a bright red satin sheet-covered bed, adorned with heart-shaped pillows. Q steps out from the shadows and tries to seduce Janeway with grand romantic gestures until finally he confesses that he is there because he has chosen her to be the mother of his child. Act 1. Q continues to plead his case with Janeway, explaining away why he has chosen her as the future mother of his child, while Janeway in turn continues to shoot down any remotest of remote possibilities that she's interested in Q at all. Q takes this for Janeway playing hard to get, accepts the challenge, and disappears. Janeway then contacts Chakotay and informs him that Q has in fact returned. The next morning, Janeway explains what happened to Chakotay and what Q actually wants. Chakotay is visibly bothered by Q's desires, which is quickly pointed out by Q himself, who has returned to continue his pursuit. Q thinks that Janeway is attracted to Chakotay because of his tattoo, so Q tries to impress Janeway with a bigger one. Janeway and Chakotay walk out of a ready room, wholly unimpressed. Meanwhile, in Club Med Voyager, Tom and Harry are enjoying a little downtime until Q shows up and questions them about what will woo Captain Janeway, since everything he's tried so far has failed. Tom tells Q just to give up and stop embarrassing himself, and when Q approaches Neelix for his advice, all he has to say is that the captain likes him because he's respectful, loyal, and most of all, sincere. And according to Neelix, these are qualities that Q could never hope to possess. Later in Janeway's ready room, she hears a faint whining coming from behind her desk. It's a red setter puppy, and no doubt another of Q's attempts to coerce her into mating with him. However, this time, Q's approach is a bit more sincere. And as soon as he feels like he's making progress with Janeway, a female voice demands to know what Q is doing with that dog. And no, she didn't mean the puppy. Act 2. Much like Q, this female Q appears strikingly similar in many respects right down to wearing a Starfleet uniform and the acerbic wit and sarcasm of Q. According to Q, he and this female Q were once involved. For a while, as in four billion years. And now she's finally tracked him down. But Janeway leaves them in her ready room and returns to the bridge as she has other matters to attend to, like another star that just went supernova, and another, and another... Knowing that one supernova is a rare occurrence makes Janeway believe that these new supernovas have to be somehow related to Q and why he's so adamant about consummating their relationship. And as the crew assess the threat that three different supernova shockwaves will have on Voyager, Janeway turns to Q to do something about these shockwaves, and he does, well, disappears, taking Janeway with him just as the first shockwave strikes Voyager, causing the ship to tumble across space. Meanwhile... Dressed in what appears to be a period-accurate recreation of a Civil War gown, Janeway tries to escape what also appears to be a period-accurate Civil War Southern Plantation manor house. When Q appears, he tells her that she is in fact deep within the Q continuum, and this Civil War recreation is the only way her mind can process the metaphor of what is happening to the Q continuum itself. 
Q opens the shuttered doors and through the French windows, Q shows Janeway that the continuum is burning and is at war. Act 3. Q explains that Quinn, the Q who was given sanctuary aboard Voyager so he could end his own life, his death created a schism in the continuum between those who, like Q and Quinn, wished for individuality and separatism from those who believe in the status quo of the continuum. Now, using weapons created by and capable of killing their own people, the Q are at war, or by Q's estimation, are at the tipping point for change, which is where Janeway comes in. Q believes that creating a new type of Q, a messianic figure for the continuum, can end the fighting and bring peace. But before he can explain any further, Q is gravely wounded by a bombardment of bullets and cannon fire. On Voyager, the first of the three shockwaves has done considerable damage to both the ship and apparently to the female Q, who seems to have lost her powers as the civil war with the continuum rages on. Chakotay believes their only way out of their dire situation is to work together, regardless of how limited the female Q believes Voyager's crew to be. Back in the plantation, Janeway is staunching Q's bleeding wound while he explains to her that even the Q were devious enough to manufacture weapons capable of annihilating each other. He encourages her to fight alongside him because if these weapons can kill a Q, they could do far worse to a mortal. However, before Q can make a stand, heavy cannon fire detonates in the room, knocking Q down, who was then dragged away by Janeway before they are both crushed by a falling chandelier. Act 4 on Voyager, Balana is barely tolerating the engineering education and relationship ribbing she's getting from female Q. However, for all of the pushback Balana is giving, which is as good as she's getting, female Q finds Balana's pluck all the more endearing. Back in the continuum, Janeway has managed to drag Q to safety within an encampment of a friendly faction. Naturally, Q returns to trying to sway Janeway to mate with him to end this bloody conflict, but Janeway suggests that female Q would be best suited as his mate. Q says that interspecies mating in the continuum has never been done before, that the Q has simply existed since, well, existence itself. Q also dangles returning Voyager home to the Alpha Quadrant if Janeway bears Q's child, but Janeway insists that human determination will get them back just fine. She then leaves Q to seek out the enemy camp to try and negotiate a ceasefire. Back on Voyager, the female Q orders Voyager into a star about to go supernova. Chakotay balks at the idea, but the female Q assures him that this is the only way to reach the continuum. She then texts the tech with Balana to remodulate Voyager's shields in order to survive entering the supernova and thus the continuum itself. Having made her way to the enemy Q's camp, Janeway pleads on Q's behalf that he's willing to negotiate a peaceful end to their civil war, but she is arrested instead, as well as Q, who is then escorted into the enemy colonel's tent. Colonel Q then informs Janeway that she will be executed as well for collaborating with the enemy. Act 5. It is dawn on a bright and sunny day, as Q and Janeway are lashed to their own respective trees, awaiting death by firing squad. Janeway makes one last appeal to the colonel's sensibility to give peace a chance, while Q requests Janeway's life to be spared as she had nothing to do with their civil war. Regretfully, their collective words fall on Colonel Q's deaf ears, and as his firing squad takes aim, someone else fires instead. It's Voyager's away team. Chakotay, Tuvok, Tom, and Harry, all dressed in Union faction blues and firing Q-branch musket weapons, bear down on the enemy camp, free Janeway, and secure the colonel. 
Q makes an impassioned plea to female Q to become the parents of peace and to put an end to this civil war as they mate right then, right there, in front of all to see, especially Captain Janeway. And with that and a snap, the crew and Voyager are put back to rights and are back on course as if nothing happened. The civil war is over and there are no signs of any further supernova activity. When Janeway returns to her ready room, she is surprised to see Q and his son, who just stopped by to see Auntie Kathy, who Q has now also chosen to be his godmother. The end. Schisms! Sorry, I just, Schisms. I've been waiting for minutes and minutes to say that. <laughs> also, for anybody who uh, follows our random and uh, deep cut SNL references, chandeliers. I was very glad to hear you include that in there. So nice job, Norm. <laughs> All the references, so many so many references. Hey, I tried to get in the Easter eggs when I can. You did. You did. Are, are you the kind of person who uh, claps when an airplane lands? <laughs> because that, that's <laughs> it was it was just funny to me. Like like it's a sweet scene almost, but kind of funny to me how everyone claps at the supernova. I, I guess look maybe I would too, but then it's sort of like clapping for a sunset. I I don't. There's just something kind of weird and funny about it. Were they clapping that they didn't, like, burn up from the supernova's energy? Well, exactly, because how close is safe enough a distance to a supernova? Because it just seems dangerous all around, you know? Yeah. Yeah, whatever. Mm-hmm. Do I have to say, you know, the, the EMH show, he's flexing hard about that mobile emitter. You know, he, Oh, he was making a point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He didn't really point it out. It just became a thing in Future's End. It was just like, oh, yeah, I got this thing. Now I can walk around. And now he's like, you see me here on the bridge? You see me? Because I have this. Now meet me in sickbay. <laughs> I mean, right? wow. Yeah. Where the real magic happens yeah. because of this. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so when Q was in, in Janeway's uh, quarters mm-hmm. and, you know, he, he prepared, you know, his, his seduction, you know, he even said that I've taken the proverbial phone off the hook. I don't want any interruptions. Do we actually use that phrase anymore? Do we even use, do you think that they'll use that phrase even in the 24th century? I wonder if she would get it because, you know, we, we've mentioned that where you, you say that you hang up the phone. Well, no, I, I can't remember the last time I hung up a phone. I, I push a Mm -hmm. virtual red button to end a call. So yeah. Yeah. I don't know if she would get it or not. Also a question and more of a rhetorical question Mm -hmm. Is it charming to watch Q snap his fingers and have Janeway in lingerie, or is it cringy? Uh, <laughs> Again, rhetorical yeah, question. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, well, look, uh, okay, Q comes on very strong. I do have to say, I like his red robe, his choice, his body for the right. red robe. I thought very cool looking, uh, great wardrobe there. Yeah, definitely coming on too strong, definitely too forceful there. Again, is it in character? Yes, in character. A lot of this episode is that back and forth with Kate. Gotta admit that they're good together. You know, they are that that back they and are. forth is just kind. Of, and in fact, and I love Janeway's line. As far as you're concerned, Q, I'm impossible to get. <laughs> wonderful, Shut down. wonderful line. Yeah. yeah, let's jump up to her ready room though. That very nice gold edged coffee cup that she has, different from that Starfleet issue stainless steel with the black handle. Right. Mm-hmm. Special occasion? I don't know. I think. The less sleep she has, the nicer her coffee cup is. Oh, maybe that's it. 
Maybe that's right. the choice. Yeah. And then we may talk a little more about Chicote later, but Chicote, a little jealous. Maybe those resolutions were a little stronger than we were led to believe. That's funny because you wrote that note. I had uh, I didn't see your notes, uh-huh, so yeah. I saw the exact same thing. He even said, yeah. "I know I don't have the right to feel this way, but this bothers the hell out of me." Be honest, because it's not resolved. Yeah, even Q saw that unresolved resolution. Mm-hmm. Q saw that, yep. and then had to make his tattoo bigger Ooh, because yeah. he too was jealous. Yeah, yeah little cringy there too also but uh-huh. i do love maori tattoos i'm a big fan of maori tattoo Very face cool. art yeah and yeah but not particularly in this scene. not like that yeah, so, yeah 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 speaking of cringy we're back at the 90s club med <laughs> holodeck simulation just anybody anybody please hit a button and take me back to shea sandrine please yeah and 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 q called me like a bar rodent <laughs> That's just that's so rude. Oh god, that's awful. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Well, wow. hopefully that nickname doesn't stick. Um, I, I'm glad to see a puppy though. If we liven things up here, lighten things up, a puppy just like the good old days on the Enterprise. I had the double take on it, so it's not just any puppy. It's an Irish red setter mm-hmm. puppy. Yeah. Molly. Yeah. Is an Irish red setter. Yep. So. Q did his homework. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah, absolutely. I hope that the real Molly, they just they kept in like a transporter buffer so that then in 70 years when they got home, <laughs> you know, right. she could be reunited with, with Molly. Um, all right. Mm. You, you talked about uh, the nickname for Neelix there, Bar Rodent. How about Chuckles, though? You think we'll, <laughs> think we'll hang on to that for, for Chakotay? <laughs> did anyone actually chuckle at Chuckles? I would like to think that they would hang on to that and i would love to know who came up with it like was that purely a ken biller thing or <laughs> i i don't know uh, when we're in the uh the antebellum home that was such a good shot through the windows from the outside yeah. seeing the reflection of the explosions of the distant artillery I, there were a couple of places mm-hmm. where i thought they were using stock footage but i couldn't narrow down where it was from like you had that and then you had the wide shot of the encampment some good use of that stuff I also loved like the the French window, the French door shutters. Yes, those long shutters. Oh, yeah. those were gorgeous. Yeah, yeah, just as gorgeous. I thought the shockwave effect of Voyager getting knocked back from Supernova. Nice effect. I thought that was actually really well done. Yep. I loved the production level when they went to the antebellum house. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the Southern Manor, and the first of all, like the set was gorgeous. The costumes were gorgeous. I felt like. I felt like I was like watching an episode of North and South. You brought that yeah, up like right. earlier, yeah. and, but I, I I felt like I was actually watching like Kate Mulgrew and John Delancey in an episode of North and South. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah it was pretty good, and and they got a lot out of that one room, which I'll I'll mention again in a moment. I'm sure I do like the idea of uh, galactic crossfire resulting in supernovas. By the way, that I'm uh, giving that to the world. That can be your Parliament Funkadelic tribute band. Can be galactic <laughs> crossfire. Cross. Yeah, yeah. You're welcome, world. Mm, uh, you, look, I mean, I'm sure we'll get into the nitty gritty details. Could Q and Janeway even mate? I mean, it, it, is it like Superman in the respect that that he would have to become human, but then he's no longer Q, so that is negate the point to begin with. I, mm-hmm. Okay. No, I, no. That's an interesting point, and I, and I saw it in a in a similar way because mm-hmm. I thought that they lost a really cool opportunity to, for, for Q to see his own mortality the same way that Clark Kent saw his own mortality by seeing his own blood in Superman 2. Ooh, yeah. 
right? Yeah. Because yeah. he was like, I'm bleeding? Yeah. Right? He's like, how does how does that happen? Yeah. Interesting. And I thought that would have been interesting to see. So still yeah. in that house and in that room, I just felt like the effects people must have had a blast blowing up that set. Because, I mean, it, it, you, I, if I'm not mistaken, I think you end one act and then you open another act and they're still shooting. And you see these constant bullet holes being made in the windows. Some of the windows just get completely blown out, but then they're still shooting and you're still hearing uh, glass cracking. And then oh, yeah. the, the flower pots blow up. I mean, there was a lot of squib work going on in that room and it was really well done and i just i like the whole idea the whole conceit that the q weapons are so powerful in the continuum that the civil war weapons are just a metaphoric weapon like to us yes to a human being getting hit with a 19th century round that would be devastating and you would bleed out it would be terrible but you have to imagine that on a scale for an omnipotent species just out there in the universe that was kind of a, right, kind of like mm-hmm. begs the question like what kind of weapon can hurt a cube yeah right right yeah right it's very cool definitely like milana standing her ground against q totally in character for her well done i mean i know that's not the most important scene in in the episode mm-hmm. but it's probably one of my favorite scenes in the episode yep. because they chew that scene they being like roxanne and Susie, yeah. chew that scenery uh, like just amazing. It's, it's kind of like if you if you didn't watch the scene, you could swear that Roxanne, or I should say, Belana and uh, Calaire are actually like arguing against yes. each other. Yes, absolutely. Right? Yeah, I feel like that's partly why that works. I love the the back and forth. There, there's some good uh, dialogue back and forth with Q and Janeway uh, when she says to him, "Oh, so you're not willing to do the hard work?" He says, "I'm an idea man. Hard work isn't really my forte." And hmm. Of course, it's part of the fun of the whole conceit that Q is omnipotent, but somehow he is stuck in this, like, early human version of parental responsibility or lack thereof for the man in the equation, you know, very, uh, very dated. Yeah. So here's an interesting production thing I thought was a little off. So Mm -hmm. timestamp 29 minutes. So Janeway makes a wet cold compress mm-hmm. to put on Q's forehead. So right before she does, she like dips it in water, like squeeze it out, wrings it out. You can see the water actually wrung out of the of the uh, you know, the cloth, and then she puts it on him and then they close up to like a, a medium close up to his face mm-hmm. and she's patting his face down and it's a dry cloth. Oh. An absolute bone dry cloth. I didn't notice that. <laughs> I have to go yeah, back. It's up. just one of those weird things sure. I'm like, hmm. Okay. Con- sure. Continuity right. issue there. Yeah. We do have Q saying to uh, Janeway, even if I wanted to mate, I wouldn't know how. And she says, you'll figure something out. And I thought immediately back to the apple with Kirk saying, it's called freedom and you'll like it. <laughs> you know, because <laughs> for, first of all, that, that's very presumptuous of Kirk anyway. And it's a little presumptuous of Janeway. Like, uh, you know, I, I, I honestly have no idea what the repercussions are of your plan here. But sure, just, just go do it. I'm sure it'll work. I mean, <laughs> and... Yeah, and with that point, no Q has ever, you know, I, except for Amanda Rogers' parents, but then they were human, both of right. them at the time. I, it, it's very complicated. You'd think that they could pick up a book. Yeah, you think the weapons were complicated? <laughs> no, think about uh, yeah, this on a galactic scale. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Really nice long Steadicam shot of the Confederate camp toward the tent they're walking toward the tents beginning of act five and then follow me like you kind of land on the tent and then you follow q and janeway out of the tent 
up to the point that they're tied up for their execution. It's just a long take uh, with some mm. nice movement in the camera there. Really good shot. Great, great final words from both Janeway and Q. Really sounded true to their characters and a little noble for Q. It was nice to see him have that moment. And I love the shutdown from Colonel Q. Your rhetoric fails to compensate for your irresponsibility. Oof. That's he's almost kind of like an, an older parent, like talking yeah. to a younger person. Yeah, you know? yeah, true. But then you he's wonder, like, like, how do the Q have a hierarchy like that? Like, are there older Q and younger Q? What, how could there be? Here's another question. All the soldiers that are running around this civil war, yeah. they're all Q as well. They are. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So how many of them are there? Right. And, and are any of them you know? dying from gunfire? Yeah. Right. Oof. I, I do like the bit. Q says to Janeway, I'm sorry. She says, I know. I felt like that was a very Star Wars moment. <laughs> she hunts yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I do wonder, okay, so where did the Voyager crew get uniforms and weapons? Like, did Miss Q get her powers back and then grant those once they were in the continuum? I mean, a little... A little murky on that. And I guess now, like, the continuum is a literal physical place where you can park <laughs> a starship and carry out a land battle. That's Well, you just have to find which supernova you need to go which, into. Yeah, yeah. They, they right. just happen to like be a secret door. They're at the right one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I loved seeing Harry hmm. in the, the Union Civil War outfit because you rarely, if yeah. ever, see an Asian man yeah. wear a Civil War uniform because— they really didn't have Asian troops. Yeah. Then. Yeah. I, there so. might have been the odd one or the odd two. One but yeah, yeah. It yeah, was an interesting uh, juxtaposition to see that. I also have to hand it to all the Q in the continuum. They may be omnipotent, but uh, they have terrible aim. <laughs> they're just, they're not very good with their weapons. Maybe that's why they keep. So they're Imperial Stormtroopers. They are. They are. Maybe that's why yeah. they just keep accidentally creating supernova. And then, okay. <laughs> I Q saying to Janeway, oh, Kathy, don't you like to watch? And apparently she does. <laughs> and apparently she's disappointed <laughs> when it's not that good or that much. That was a very interesting and fun choice of this episode. My dearest Martha, we have been hunkered down at the ridge for days. A supernova briefly caused us to blink out of existence, but we're much better now. We'll be right back with Q and the Gray after a brief word from this week's sponsors. You know, Norman, we always ask our audience, and we, we know the answer. You know, we know mm -hmm. exactly what the right answer is. When you're watching Star Trek Picard, what are you sipping? And we hope that it's Chateau Picard from the actual Chateau Picard. That, that is the right, right answer because they're in those screen, you know, in-universe authentic bottles from Star Trek Picard, and they're made by our friends over at Star Trek Wines, and they are the ones from the show. They actually are the ones that are made for the show, and you can get them in the Strange New Worlds version from 2221 or the 2386 or 2401, exactly like you saw them on screen. And again, they are from the actual Chateau Picard. Uh, the, what's in that bottle is from the actual Chateau Picard. But there is a whole other universe of Star Trek wines for you to try. Now, Norman, you told me uh, last time that you really like the Canar and love that bottle and the Klingon mm -hmm. blood wine. Um, yes. 
Have you uh, have you tried any of the others? Not quite yet. Not okay. quite yet. I've uh, I really really enjoy the canard. Yeah, and I think that um, it's complex, which I like about that. It, yeah. It is, and I think that there's something to be said about enjoying it from that exquisite bottle that it comes in because you feel like you are in-universe when you're actually enjoying that particular wine. The same thing with Klingon blood wine. Now, I think it would be even more fun if I actually drank that from one of those Klingon warrior mugs (laughs) and then really kind of, you know, round out the experience. I want that for you. Yes. Yeah. They're... They're fantastic. Yeah. I mean, the bottles are gorgeous. The The wines in them are absolutely delicious. And that's what we want. Yeah. I, well, I want to turn you on to one that is maybe overlooked because mm-hmm. it, it's not something that you see on screen. But to me, like the one that I would reach for to drink with just about anything is the Federation Special Reserve. And that is mm-hmm. an old mm-hmm. vine red Zinfandel. And it's in this cool, like, squared off bottle. And Mm -hmm. it is just one of the lightest, easiest to drink reds that I've had with anything. You could have it with richer foods that definitely lend themselves to red wine, but it actually works with lighter foods as well. It's just so good. And that bottle is very distinctive. I've brought it over a couple of times to, you know, a friend's house for a dinner get together. And it always impresses. And uh, I haven't heard anybody say that they did not enjoy that Federation Reserve. So check that out while you're looking at the collection at StarTrekWines.com. So please visit StarTrekWines.com today for limited edition Chateau Picard, Klingon Blood Wine, Canar, and many more. Use our special code Roddenberry at StarTrekWines.com for an exclusive United Federation of Planets medallion for free. Hello, my name is Tawny Newsom. I play Beckett Mariner on Star Trek Lower Decks. I am Paul F. Tompkins, and I play Dr. Miglimo on Star Trek Lower Decks. But more importantly, we're just a couple of Star Trek nerds who are excited because we finally get to talk about Star Trek again with all of you. And we will be featuring Deep Space Nine guests to celebrate the show's 30th anniversary. We're going to be talking Picard Season 3 with members of the original The Next Generation cast. Listen to Star Trek The Pod Directive wherever you get your podcasts. All right, Norman, is there more to be said about the detection of Chakotay's jealousy? (laughs) Is he jealous? No lies detected. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Okay, here's the other question. Does Janeway still have some feelings, some of those feelings? Is it complicated, as the kids say? I think it is complicated because as soon as Chakotay... You know, he he says what he said. He said, I'm not sure if I have the right to feel this way, but I do feel a little mm-hmm. sideways about this. And then Q says, I knew that, you know, there was another man. And Janeway says, there's no other man. And Chakotay doesn't flinch yeah. when she says that. Either that or he just swallows his pride very convincingly. <laughs> but I think that his his love for Janeway, I think, is in a very protective way. Like, he, he loves her but I think his first duty and, and responsibility to her is to protect her at all costs. He, she's the captain. I think that goes all the way back to, say, um, a caretaker when he foregoes his kind of like his Maki you know, instincts and says, who is she to Balana? And then he says, she's the captain. Mm-hmm. That's it. Yeah. Period. And I think he's resolved. <laughs> I almost said it. I think he's resolved himself. Uh-huh to that and and honoring that and who she is and yes there is a little undercurrent right of that like romantic desire that urge yeah. 
but I think he's kind of I, I think he's made peace with that, even though these little flare ups happen. Well, here's where I will definitely give credit where it's due, because at the end of resolutions, we had this question about, all right, does the ending feel earned? Does it feel right? Does it feel truthful? Can they just put everything aside that just happened to them, especially given the difficulty of the circumstance that Voyager is in? Can they just put it completely aside and just walk right back into their professional roles? Well, they are professional. So yes, they can do their professional roles. But will a show like Voyager ever revisit what happened in any sort of meaningful way? And I I'll give them credit for at least just dropping in a line like that. Just, it, just Chakotay even acknowledging, saying that he doesn't have a right to, but he's got this feeling. He's got this uneasy feeling here. Uh, and for Janeway to have some compassion and tenderness about that was really nice. You could even come to that scene if you didn't know the history of that particular episode, if you had somehow missed resolutions along the way. And just come up to it and said, hmm, all right, these are a couple of characters who care about each other, probably have a little more than a strictly professional relationship, and it works. Mm-hmm. Like, those are truthful reactions. So, yeah. you know, I'll, uh, I'll hand that to him. Yeah. I mean, you can also see how protective he is of her well-being when she's visibly, like, rubbing her neck and he's like, look, yeah. you got to take a break. Yep. Right? I can handle this. Harry can handle this. We can all handle this, but you got to get some sleep. Yep. You know, and it's nice that she didn't argue with him. Yeah. Yeah. So it's one of those yeah. times where on Voyager, because it is a unique situation, they can be a little more familiar and a little more familial and still maintain the professional level that they need to. So, you know, yeah. I, I think they found a good balance, at least in this episode for that. Um Let's move on to Q and the Q situation. Uh, very in- Which Q? There are many Q. Oh, you know the Q I'm talking about. You know, that, 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 Q. that Q. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, okay. that Q. Okay. He, okay. he says, I sounded the trumpet and carried the banner. And that's what Q says mm-hmm. about his life after the suicide of Q in Death Wish. Right. And I thought that was so interesting because, again, here's an episode that, you know, we'll, we'll come to our final conclusions about the episode. But as a sequel to Death Wish, as an episode that gives some payoff to what happened there, Q changed his mind. And mm-hmm. I was so intrigued in Death Wish. I, I think I felt more strongly about that episode than you did. But I was so intrigued with just these reactions, just seeing Q watch Q spill his heart out about the emotional toll that it takes, this existential dread of living in the continuum. And here's Q fighting him every step of the way. Like, this is unnatural what you're asking for. You, you're, you know, you're going to tear us apart. But those ideas stuck. And Q then became the torchbearer for that whole idea of freedom and individualism. Although uh, I will counter that by saying, you know, the idea of freedom and individualism, well, it is still a choice then to not follow in that cue's footsteps. So, True. you know, they, they haven't found a way to coexist like that. Uh, they, they would right. rather just fight it out. But I very much like the idea that there was, a, there was something that had resonance from that episode that actually changed the character of Q. That, that reminds me of a quote, you know, from one of my favorite bands, Rush. If you choose not to decide, you still have made a choice. Ah, right? So yeah. 
Yeah. So even if you don't feel that you, you know, uh, you should pursue independence, you're being independent by actually pursuing uh-huh. the choice of independence. Uh-huh. Right, right. Right. The interesting thing about what's happening with Q, you know, and his changing his mind from what Quinn, you know, imparted mm-hmm. on him about individuality. Do you think that this is where Q has learned what Picard was trying to teach him the entire time Q put humanity on trial, that individuality is the key to being able to grow as a species. There's going to be faults. There are going to be failures, but there are also going to be successes because along the way, you have to be able to take these individual choices and grow and learn from them and own them, right? So in a matter of, you know, in, in a matter of speaking, the civil war in the continuum because we made mention of there is an older Colonel Q yeah. who's, you know, creating a summary judgment against the younger Q. Is there the older Q of the continuum now putting the younger Q continuum on trial the mm. way that Q put humanity on trial uh-huh. for being individuals, for thinking in this individualistic way? Yeah. Right? Huh. So you're kind of seeing this this kind of like this tier structure of those in the Q continuum who are the purists as perhaps our Q is Delancey's Q yeah. once was when he put Picard and humanity on trial. Yeah. Then he saw the greatness of that, or at least learned from that, or at least was influenced by that to the point where Quinn was able to actually tip him over the scales and say, we deserve better than this. We deserve to be able to make our own choices. Yeah. And now they, the faction that has rebelled against the continuum, are now on trial. Ah, uh, uh-huh. See, it's always uh-huh. interesting to me that the, the, the chinks in the armor of the Q, you know, they, they have omnipotence. Haven't, uh, nobody's ever said omniscience, I don't think. Nope, just omnipotence. omnipotence. Um, mm-hmm. But they still have access to a lot of information. They still have access to, either they jump around in time. So they could potentially figure out the outcome of something. But these are all the flaws in what they do. And, and as advanced as they are and as powerful as they are, they still have these interpersonal conflicts. And they are reflected in but also influenced by what they're doing in the rest of the universe, like picking on a guy like Picard or the rest of humanity or somebody like Janeway in this case. I wondered if uh, this exchange stood out to you at all when Q says to Janeway, war can be an engine of change. War can transform a society for better. And Janeway says, our civil war came at a time before mankind had learned to resolve disputes without bloodshed. Surely the Q have evolved to a point where you can find a nonviolent way to resolve a conflict. And I Mm -hmm. wondered if that was a little, you know, when we back out a bit and we look at any alien species in Star Trek as a reflection of us. Is it this warning to say to us, look, as advanced as humanity may get, you will still have this potential that you don't learn to resolve your conflicts in a nonviolent way. You could have all the power in the world, but you could still behave in this petty, violent way toward each other. I guess the big question is, you know, well, it's very hard when you're dealing with these billions of years of existence in the abstract, you know, because how do you even how do you even like extrapolate the evolution of a cue from 
believing that they should all follow the same rules to we're going to choose independence. And you're talking about what trillions of years in the making. Yeah. Yeah. But I guess the big, the big question is what about humanity in, in the equation of uh, can they learn something about war and about how war isn't the solution to any problem. Did they not learn from studying humanity or that Q didn't learn from studying Picard, mm. you know, and, and the crew, you know, mm-hmm. the enterprise, you know, for all seven seasons of the next generation and in real world, using that experience and using that knowledge to say, look, if they can do this, if they can put aside war, you know, and strife and solving things through violent means and an almost you know, creating annihilation level experiences for their own existence. Why can't we, aren't we better than them? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. So it's like, did, did Q not bring any of this back to the continuum or did they choose not to listen? Yeah. Well, see, that's another really good question. And for that matter, why keep going back to humanity? They probably could have learned some of this if they just studied the Vulcans longer. You know, I mean, they could check yeah. on the Klingons and be like, oh, still fighting, still fighting, yeah. still fighting. Vulcans yeah, doing OK. They, they've managed mm-hmm. to figure out at least the not killing each other part for the most part. But humanity still has a long way to go unless, again, it's Star Trek's way of kind of patting humanity on its back and saying, well, it's the right combination of reason and logic with compassion and an emotional life and et cetera, et cetera. But that, that's okay. Star Trek is a very human centric show in that way. You know, you brought up the word omnipotent as opposed to like uh, omniscient. Yes. So yes. what an omnipotent is about like being uber powerful, you know, having like all of these abilities to be able to do things like supernaturally. So what exactly is consent to an omnipotent being like Q? Ooh. Okay. <laughs> because <laughs> I'm going to take a quote here and and I'm going to put it into context. So Q says, out of all the females of the species in all the galaxies, I have chosen you to be the mother of my child, chose Janeway. Mm -hmm. So I know that there is the pretense of him chasing her as, say, uh, Pepe Le Pew would chase, you know, the female cat of his desires, Mm -hmm. like in Looney Tunes, you know, where the cat has no choice in the matter. And, you know, Pepe Le Pew is relentless. Well, that's the way that Q is. It's almost cartoonish in a way in this episode yeah. where, you know, he's snapping his fingers. There are the, there's the bed. There's the, you know, the music, the candlelight, the flowers, the romance and all that kind of stuff. But Janeway keeps saying no, no, no. But what's stopping him from just snapping his fingers and saying, you will say yes. Mm. He has the power. You know, he has this omnipotent ability to be able to manipulate anyone at any time except for this own continuum. He snapped his fingers, remember, folks, and flung the D two years into the future to encounter the Borg, mm-hmm. right? I think he has the ability to basically bend Janeway to his will, but is it because he loves the chase? As opposed to abusing the power. See, I'm so glad that you brought this up because one of the mental notes that I had was as I watched this and as I watched those scenes with uh, Q and Janeway, I thought, well, this is a pervasive theme in mythologies of the world at most points in our human history where a god or godlike being decides to impregnate a human and 
have with that human what they will. Uh, like, like this is not an out of the ordinary thing when you survey all of human mythology. <laughs> you know, it is a very common right. thing. And it's thought it, in most of those cases, it is that God godlike figure imposing its will and just doing it because they are God and they are right. And the people who follow that story say, well, yeah, it must be right because that's what God decided. In this case, is it is it something specific to the character of Q where Q needs to, you know, look, I, I think Q is not nearly as evil as Goldicott, but Part of the thing that drove Goldicott is that he needed to feel that the people who were under him that bent to his will also loved him and they also appreciated and cared for him, even if they were terrified of him, even if they were Mm -hmm. his conquered subjects. He still had to stroke that part of his ego, too. I think Q is not nearly that evil, but there's a part of Q that has to feel like he earned it in some way. Looking at this in the most generous way possible, Q is bumbling and foolish and doing all the wrong things, which is why he's trying to go to Tom and Harry and Neelix even. Rodent and Chuckles. Yeah, Rodent and Chuckles. <laughs> Bar Rodent and Chuckles, you know. <laughs> but but the lesson for him is that, okay, that that's not actually what you want. You know, you don't actually want this because you've got this all wrong starting with the fact that you are violating Janeway's agency in the situation here. But even if she did agree, you still got it all wrong about how this would play out. So he has to learn a lesson here. Um, He can't be as bad as, well, most of the gods in human mythology. Darling Nora, it is my sincere hope that you and the kids are well. A fellow Q turned me into a puppy today for about five minutes. It was really confusing. Look, we're not like Q. We don't have the uh, the luxury of all of space and all of time to fit our review of the Q and the Gray. So we do have to call it to a close at some point. And that's where we've arrived now at the section of the show where we wrap it all up and ask ourselves if the episode holds up and if there are morals, meanings, messages to be divined therein. So, uh, Q, sorry, Norm, tell me. Thank you, Q. (laughs) You're quite welcome, Q. Does the Q and the Gray hold up for you? Uh, So here's my maybe hot take or maybe slightly lukewarm take on this episode. Okay, okay. So this is Star Trek does rom-com and does it badly (laughs) okay wait wait wait, but before you get deeply into that Mm -hmm. and maybe it's in your wrap-up i haven't read it does star trek do rom-com well i'm not sure (laughs) okay i haven't seen it maybe yet okay and maybe they've done it decently enough but i think in this case because a lot of the humor at least earlier on with q and i use humor very loosely in 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 terms of like his behavior it's just very sophomoric right and i think we've mentioned this before certainly with death wish which is uh his his first appearance Mm -hmm. anytime that john delancey and kate are on screen together i think that there's kind of like a shorthand that they're that they're having and enjoying and having fun with because they're friends and they're actors and they're just kind of like playing these parts. But when you kind of like take a step back and look at it from the audience's perspective, it's kind of raunchy, 
right? You know, mm-hmm. it doesn't really like service the characters, I think, in either respect until the story takes a turn where these characters actually kind of they, they shed that and they mature and they actually get to, oh, these are the characters in the story that we should have seen in the first place. Because mm. follow me around the room, people, and tell me if you've never heard this before. <laughs> Color me shocked here. So Q creates a scenario in this episode that would never otherwise occur naturally so that he can leverage that with Janeway, who has no choice but to beg him for help. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or yeah. dangle a puppy that kind of like ticks her last nostalgic nerve. Yeah. Right. To get home. Yeah. He's done this before. And he's done this before, not in just this series, but other series where he puts people in scenarios that force them to require his services. Yeah. But that doesn't happen organically. And I, I just felt that that along with just the brutal amount of like over the top, hard hitting sexist comments and behavior. Yeah. It's tiring. It's just boring to watch because John Delancey is better than that. The character itself is better Better. than that. Right. And if you actually employ the amount of time that they used in setting that up in the first two acts and maybe explored how rich and deep this character is when they finally get to the antebellum house and he starts telling Janeway about this is why we're here. Mm -hmm. Quinn influenced me to change my mind and now we're in the middle of the first if ever civil war in the continuum that's why i need your help get to that sooner yeah in the story yeah. right yeah because it would have served everybody you know the story <laughs> the audience everybody a lot better now to be fair i actually like watching kate and john act together i think they're fantastic and i think that even in the civil war costumes they're fantastic because mm-hmm. they just looked like they were part of like the 1980s you know miniseries north and south <laughs> and i also thought that using the metaphor of the civil war to show at least to explain away to janeway this is what's happening with the continuum yeah i thought that was a smart choice you know yeah. um just in terms of the the abstractness of it all yeah i just think that if they just lost the sexist content. Hmm. I'm not saying this as a prude. I understand that this is the 90s and this is the way that certain things were written, but this is Star Trek. It should elevate itself above that. I think they were going for cheap gags, especially with Club Bro Med. I mean, seriously, (laughs) come on. Right? Yeah. That's just a bit much. Like, does everyone get, like, you know, the Swedish bikini team to give them massages, you know, when they're off duty? I didn't see anyone else. Right. I think that Star Trek, when it does that, it's going for a certain thing, you know? And I think that maybe in the 90s, there was a decision to maybe try and influence a certain other audience to come and to watch Star Trek because Star Trek maybe, I don't know, a little too highbrow in science fiction as it always once was. That's what elevates mm. Star Trek above most. And I think that that kind of approach, you know, Q's behavior, the stuff on the holodeck, that kind of stuff, I think that it just lowers Star Trek's bar a bit too much for it to be the Star Trek that I think uh, created a certain appeal for a certain audience Mm -hmm. because that's what the brand is about. Hmm. So I think aside from that, there were some glimmers of hope in this episode but you can essentially skip this and not lose a beat in the story. Yeah. 
So that that's just me. You may have seen things differently. Hopefully, a little bit more positively than me. Uh, maybe, but maybe only slightly. <laughs> okay. So does the episode up? The answer is not really. And part of the problem I feel because Q has been around for a long time since the beginning of TNG is that any story now involving Q, you have to accept two things simultaneously, that they are all powerful and have every resource available to them, but they also have incredible blind spots that only humans can help reveal and illuminate. Whether it's, you know, compassion or the skill of negotiation or love or sex or not destroying the universe. You know, you've always got to hobble Q in some way. And I think you can only do that for so long. I was so much more interested in that existential dread that Q is experiencing in Death Wish because that was specific to the life of Q. And here we follow that up with more of like a Q by numbers approach. And and even Q's counterpart, Miss Q, I feel is just kind of played on the surface. Now, Harv Presnell brings a more grounded performance here, but then it, it's a lot of it feels hard to connect to because it's metaphor inside of metaphor inside of metaphor. Mm-hmm. I agree with you. I think it was a good choice to use the Civil War as that thing, but we also then introduce layer upon layer upon layer of why we're separated from it. So you have to have all that action going on on Voyager where, no, 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 it's the supernovas. Those are a real thing. They really are happening and they really are endangering the ship, maybe the rest of the universe at some point. Mm-hmm. But at a certain point, it, it it's hard to feel invested in the bigger picture here. Now, that said... What if we did this? <laughs> how, how do I judge the episode on the merits of what the episode is trying to do? The episode is trying to inject a little humor and action into a sweeps month in late 1996. It's letting Janeway loosen up a bit and the rest of the cast put on costumes too. Do I ever feel like the stakes are real? N- no, not really. But the trappings are fun. So I can't give this episode a pass for holding up in the greater scheme of things, but I can at least appreciate that they ticked off a few of the boxes for the kind of episode this one is. Now, we talked not that long ago about an episode being serviceable like a burger and fries. This one is that, too. It's just that it's not as good a burger. That, that That's the problem right, here, fair. you know? And... and do we say that there are morals, meanings, messages? I mean, I I think you can a little bit, but I, I don't think that's the intent or the importance of an episode like this. If I try to break it down into a few like bullet point items, you know, take a character like you, you can have all the knowledge and power in the world, but if you don't treat people with sincerity, equality, and genuine interest, you will never have a genuine personal relationship with them. And that's not a thing that you can just do by, you know, ticking the boxes. You actually have to be that. You have to absorb that. How about make love, not war? Literally, (laughs) if you're Q or maybe anyone else, or if you're Q, uh, you're doing that right in front of Janeway. Uh, Sure. And, you know, I I teased it a little bit in the last segment. Is this a little bit of condemnation that no matter how far evolved any of us are, there is still the possibility of war? 
You know, Janeway says that humanity has evolved past it. Sure, past wars for resources like land or materials, but Starfleet still fights off attackers. Starfleet still finds itself in wars. I mean, look, some might even maybe hypothetically take actions that serve as a catalyst to war for the greater good. Never know. That, that could happen from somebody in Starfleet, you know, representing the Federation. Final bullet point item, uh, people, people, people. Don't have a baby because you think it will solve your problems. That's unfair to the baby, and it won't solve your problems either. What do you got for me, Norm? (laughs) There was a a sequence, like, when when Janeway and Q were talking uh, in the—I guess it would have been, like, in the the friendly Q camp. Mm -hmm. She tells him, I'd change specialties if I were you because the kind of trouble you're in needs more than a quick fix. You can't just sprinkle a little human DNA into the continuum and make everything all right. And Q says, why not? And Janeway responds, those best qualities of humanity you talked about aren't a simple matter of genetics, love, conscience, and compassion. So hard work and determination, it may not be the best way to overcome a problem, but it's the human way, Hmm. right? Hmm. These aspects of humanity that Janeway are talking about, hard work, determination, you know, love, conscience, and compassion take hard work and determination to work. They're they're Mm -hmm. just not organic elements that thrive in humanity because we want them to or we wish them to yeah. it takes a lot of hard work yeah. you know and a lot of dedication and a lot of consistency and a lot of determination to make these human qualities grow and evolve you know and not wither so if i can just encapsulate this in mm-hmm. a famous quote by the great bird of the galaxy himself ah. i want to reference a quote from gene roddenberry to put all of this into perspective ancient astronauts didn't build the pyramids Human beings built the pyramids because they're clever and they work hard. It's one of my all-time favorites. Mission Log is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment. If you'd like to support us directly, you can do so at patreon.com slash missionlog for early access to shows and the Mission Log Discord. Our website is missionlogpodcast.com. And for more Star Trek news and discussion, visit trekmovie.com. On the next Mission Log, Macrocosm. Some of the music for Mission Log provided by Warp 11, online at warp11.com. Special thanks to consulting producers, Adam Brusky, Matt Esposito, Homer Frizzell, John Mann, Mike Richards, and Mike Schabel. There are 12 more hours of documentary where those letters came from. I just hope they're better than this episode. transmission. This is a Roddenberry podcast. For more great podcasts, visit podcast.roddenberry.com.